Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat as we begin uh, now to open up God's word and ask him to reveal to us um, some very special things today. As I was preparing, can you bring that up too while we're at it here? Thank you. <clears throat> my mind went to uh, a little game that my grandkids like to play. Now, I remember my kids liking to play this also. It was different though because uh, I was one of those parents that were like, that was like a foolish parent. And um, when my kids were in lower elementary school, I thought it would be cool one night when Robin was gone to show them the movie Arachnophobia. <laughs> it's a really bad idea. Um, don't do that. But from that point on, they wanted to play the spider game, okay? Well, my, my grandkids, um, they, every time we get together, they're like, Poppy, be the big bad wolf. And they want me to be the big bad wolf. It's interesting how they say that, though. Because they don't say, Poppy, we want to see the big bad wolf. They don't say, Poppy, let's play big bad wolf. They say, Poppy, be the big bad wolf. And so I get my mask out. I'm going to give this a try, see if it doesn't mess up the microphone. Are we good? Can you hear me? And so I go like, run around, you know, and I'm chasing them all over the house and everything. Now, listen, if you're over 50 years old, don't put a rubber mask on and run too far because you'll pass out. I have literally almost passed out. One time I was on the floor running around, you know, and they're just screaming and they're loving it until, and I, this is what I realized, they'll run and scream and like, yeah, the big red wolf until I do this. And this really freaks them out. When I do that, they freak. It's, it's almost like when they look into my eyes, they're like, I think he is the big bad wolf. <laughs> and my, you know, the, the youngest, Crew and Brooks, they're so hilarious because they're the ones who want it the most. And they come over like, be the big bad wolf, Poppy, be the big bad wolf. And I stick the mask on, and they freak out, run to mommy, and they go, ah! and I mean, they're crying and everything. And then I back away, and then they come back at it. They want it. It's like they want the big bad wolf. And here's what, I, here's what happens in my head. Guys, if you only knew. As I've been preparing for this sermon today, <laughs> um, this is what's been in my mind. If, if they really knew the big bad wolf that is in Poppy, the one that when I stop and look at them, it's like they can see and they start to panic, they would never come over and ask, be the big bad wolf. Now, I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm not going to be the only one stand up here today and admit 
that there's a big bad wolf inside of me. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. Because we all have one. And ladies, you do too. I don't know if you're a big bad wolfess. I don't know what, that, what to call you, but we all have. In fact, it, it takes me to, um, it took me also in my thinking to the other Disney uh, movie that my little granddaughters um, loved when, it was, when they were watching it and old enough to watch it. It's called Beauty and the Beast. And there was this, one of, my, one of the grandkids, I <clears throat> can't remember which one, Audrey or Reagan, had the Beauty and the Beast mirror. And when you push it, the button, it would actually go, it would be Belle's voice, and she would go, show me the beast. Show me the beast. You remember that? Well, in the movie, you know, see, the, the prince is turned into, he's cursed and turned into this beast, and true love has to come into his life in order to release the curse, and so this young maiden, Belle, is supposed to fall in love with the beast. You're supposed to say, ride. Right, and that's what we all do. We watch the movie, right, like Belle's gonna. And somewhere along the line in the story, they start to fall in love, and he sends her, she goes away, and he gives her this mirror, this magic mirror, that when she wants him, all she has to do is, show me the beast. Now, in my study this week, as I'm working, and we're gonna be in James chapter one, if you wanna start going there in your Bibles, I started to think about this because when we come every week, when we come and stand before the holy God of the universe and we expose ourselves to the truth of his word, we're like Belle taking this magic mirror and holding it up and saying to God, almighty God and the Holy Spirit, show me the beast. Show me the beast. I dare you today to make that request of God as we open his word to, to, I can hear everybody at home. Everybody at home is saying it really loud. You guys just aren't here in the, in the building. It's to show me the, show me the beast. That's the title of the sermon. Do you have the courage today to request of the Lord, show me the beast? Now, Ladies, you don't get to be like, show him the beast. Okay, and guys, you get it, right? This is an individual thing that we're doing today. Show me the beast as we open the word of God together in James chapter one. <clears throat> now, to get started, I want you to know, and, and clearly understand that this Bible that we have contains the very words of God. Amen. It's not just a Bible written about God that helps us understand God. It, these are God's inspired, Scripture calls them inspired words that he has preserved over hundreds and hundreds of years for us today to understand and obey and believe because it's absolute truth. His words, the Bible says, are literally breathed into human writers 
to pen the very words inspired as they were moved along, the scripture says, by the hand of the Holy Spirit of God to write down what God wants to say to us. In fact, we are called, <laughs> and this is gonna make some of you cringe when I say this, okay? Because these are old theological words, but we are called a fundamental Bible-believing church. And when we say those words, because of some weird things that have happened in the past, people go like, that's a negative thing. That's, all not, that's not a good thing. No, it actually is a very good thing for a church of Jesus Christ to be a fundamental Bible-believing church. Because what that means is that Christ and his word are the core to who we are and the foundation of why we even exist and what we have been built upon. Without Christ and his word, we're wasting our time. We might as well be at home playing and doing whatever we want to do if we aren't fundamentally a Bible-believing church. God's holy word, the Bible, is our sole authority of rule that governs who we are and how we should live in the world, especially today. Always has been, always will be. In fact, when I was a kid, we regularly pledged our allegiance to the Bible, to the Christian flag, and to the Lord. Any of you used to do that? I don't know why we stopped it. <laughs> you want to try it? Want to pledge your allegiance to God's word this morning? Who wants to? You know, in a day where we don't want to pledge allegiance to anything, now's the time to pledge the allegiance, our allegiance, to God and his word. So if you want to do that, stand to your feet, grab your Bible. This is weird because when I was a kid, we, did, we only had this kind of Bible. We didn't have, you know, devices, but grab whatever device you have, hold it up, Put your hand on your, come on at home, everybody, stand on your feet. Get out your Bible, put your hand on your heart, and let's pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word right now. Let's say it together. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its word in my heart that I may not sin against God. Lord, I pray as we open your word right now, and we pledge ourselves to obey it, to believe it, and to apply it, that you will show us the beast today. And you'll make changes that you wanna make in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to be in James chapter one, but before we jump to that, I want you to hear these words from 2 Timothy 3.13. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That was just written yesterday, by the way. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. You know the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's the powerful passage. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness, and here's the goal, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is working through his word to move something in us so that we, his servants, will be equipped to do the work he wants us to do. That's why we gather. And that's what James is going to be pressing into us today in verses 19 through 27 of James chapter 1. And let me just remind you where we are today. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor at the early church in Jerusalem, is writing to Christians who are scattered all over the regions of Samaria and Judea, outside of Jerusalem, chased outside of their homes and out of the town where they found faith in Jesus Christ. And he starts with teaching them how to persevere underneath the painful trials and persecutions and the scattering that was happening. They had lost their livelihoods because of their faith in Jesus, and they had lost their homes, and they're running literally for their lives, and they're scattered all over the place. And what he's saying to them, and what we've been learning, is he, need, he says, you need to persevere under these trials. I know they're painful, but you can do it. You can persevere. Eric did a great job last week of helping us understand how to resist and James wanted them to understand that temptation to walk away from the faith because of the trials was going to be great and that they needed to learn to resist the temptations that would come from within to walk away from God and then come from without to walk away from God. And up next today is a call to action to our relationship with God and his word. And the challenge is simply this, be doers of the word and not just hearers. Write that down. That is the main focus of what we're going to look at today. And I'm not sure there's a more needed passage for today's church than the one before us today in James chapter 1, verse 19. Let's go there, okay? You ready? You ready? Okay. Good. Here we go. My dear brothers and sisters, take Note of this, and what this means is, um, this is very important. Sit up and pay attention. Everyone should be last to listen, first to speak, and you should give full vent to the anger in your heart because that's healthy. And you will get what you want if you give full vent to your anger and your frustration. Wrong. Let's read what it really says, not what we think and not what comes natural to us. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Sit up and pay attention. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right now in our world, everyone wants to be heard, right? Right? And you guys, come on. Tomorrow you can sleep in. Right now, come on, jump on it with me, okay? We are in a place right now where everybody needs to be heard and everybody wants to be heard and everybody is demanding to be heard. In fact, this is the curse of social media in my opinion. I want everyone to know what I have to think and what I have to say. Because what I have to think, what I think and what I have to say 
is of maximum importance right now. Everyone wants to get their word in first. They want to be heard loud and clear. And it seems like it's not good enough just to say what I think. I got to get a big bullhorn. And my bullhorn needs to be bigger than your bullhorn because you need to hear what I have to say. That's like our world right now. The message today is it's okay to fully express yourself. Throw up all the restraints and let her rip. You have the right to do that. You know what the crazy thing is? Is we've been doing this since we were on the playground in elementary school. You remember those days, don't you? No? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, you get, you, everybody's playing and everybody's having a great time until somebody gets their feelings hurt over something. And so it's, I don't like you. Well, I don't like you either. Well, you stink. That's what you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. Well, that's what you are, but what am I? I hate you. That's what you are, but what am I? And it goes back and forth, back and forth, and now until, until somebody gets smacked in the head or pushed down or knocked off the swing or off the monkey bars, and now all-out war is going on. And what used to happen when that happened? What used to happen? Do you remember? Fight! You remember that? And everybody, all the kids came, it didn't matter where you were, what you were doing, if you heard, fight, you dropped what you were doing and you gathered around and everybody circled around while these, these two were smacking on each other because I don't like you and you don't like me and you're gonna, I'm, you need to hear what I have to say and I have rights. We've been doing it for a long time. And what seems... Is, I don't even know how to talk about this stuff, to tell you the truth. Because every time I do, I get in trouble because I'm not being sensitive enough or something. I don't know. I'm just calling it out for what it is, okay? Because all we've done now is grown up to become more sophisticated children on a bigger playground who are slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to express our opinions and force our opinions and then quick to get angry about it and the result is a flood of angry, hate-filled words that escalate into angry, hateful actions and those result in abuse and the end result is murder. And that's what's happening in our world right now. The message of God's word today is that's not God's way. God's way for God's people is that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And look at verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I mean, doesn't it feel right now like we're sitting on a powder keg and everything's burning around it? You're sitting on the powder keg. That the powder keg is like gunpowder, right? And everything around you is burning. What's gonna happen pretty soon? The fire's gonna get to you and gonna blow you up. I feel like that right now. 
People are feeling like that right now. Things are getting so out of control because of people wanting to be heard and people wanting to act out in their anger that people are like freaking out, buying guns because they feel like everything's burning around them and it's coming to their house. This is not God's way. Not what he wants. But I want you to know that we gotta go back to the, to the to who James was writing to, the very same stuff was happening, but worse for these early Christians, these first century Christians, because they were literally running for their lives because they were being killed. The church of Jesus Christ was being persecuted and they were killing Christians, and so people were taking their families and running and fleeing from their homes. It was a real thing for them. It wasn't just like a social problem, it was like a real personal problem. And James' message to them in the middle of that was, hey, you, need, you guys need to slow down and you need to hear from the Lord. You need to be taking things in right now, not expressing things right now. Don't express yourself so quickly because the anger of man does not accomplish what God wants to accomplish in you and wants to accomplish in others through you. And so, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, look at what it goes to, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Here's the deal. The anger of man actually produces unrighteousness. In fact, if you have the ESV before you, I love these words. He calls it all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Wow. Those are powerful words, rampant wickedness. So he says, put away that stuff and humbly submit. How do you put away that? You humbly submit to the word that has been planted in you. And these new believers are out there and they're panicking and he's saying, there is a word that has been planted in you and it is a powerful word. It is alive and it's working in you. Humbly accept it and submit to it. That same message is there for us. So how do we do that? Look at verse 22. This is how, here we are. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Notice that James' teaching goes from hearing to doing and skips the speaking. Do you notice that? Hear the word and do the word. Because if you're just a hearer, then you are deceiving yourself. Now listen, stay with me. This next portion I'm gonna say is you're gonna be tempted. Some of you are gonna be tempted to check out. Don't, okay? Stay with me to the end of, my, of this passage here that I'm gonna talk about. Because this person is, this is speaking to the person who knows the word inside and out. This is the professional Bible scholar. Okay, let's put it that way that he's writing to. This is the person who can quote verses into every life circumstance, who signs up for every Bible study offered that he, can get, he or she can get their hands on. This is the person who has perfect attendance and completes every homework assignment of their life group. By the way, life groups are starting. You need to get in one if you're not in one. 
This is the person who is one step away from becoming a leader and maybe even a teacher in the local Bible study fellowship group. Now, I'm stopping to say those things are really good. You hear me? Are you hearing me? You hear me in the balcony? Can you hear me up there? Can you hear me up there? Okay, now I can hear you. These things are really good. But here's what James is saying. But if that person doesn't turn that knowledge into action, then they are just deceiving themselves into thinking that they are spiritual and that they're somehow pleasing God. If you think that getting up every morning and reading the word is pleasing to God, you're mistaken. Now hear me, God loves his people to read his word. But if all you do is get up and read your word and then you walk away and do not apply that word in that day, there's no way you're being pleasing to God. You don't get points for that, right? You don't get points just for hearing God's word and studying it. You guys are mad at me right now. Some of you are very angry with me right now because you're like, wait a minute. You do too get points for reading God's word. Where does it say that? Is it a good thing to read God's word? I gotta say it again. Is it a good thing to read God's word? Yes, it is. But if all you're doing is reading God's word and you're not applying what you've heard, you're deceiving yourself and thinking that God's okay with that because he's not. And if you think that you're spiritual because you read the Bible all day long, you're not if you're not applying it. That's what James is telling us here. I'm not making this up. Pastor, am I making this up? I'm not making it up. You're deceiving yourself, James says. They're like Paul when Paul says they have, those kinds of people have a form of godliness but they are denying the power of the word of God in their lives. Satan is called by Jesus, the great deceiver. I was listening to Francis Chan on this this week, and this is what he says. I got this quote up here. Satan is thrilled when all over the world, God's people pack out places of worship, hear the word of God, walk away and do nothing, and get this, and yet think that they've accomplished something. That's a dangerous place to be. Because when we're like this, we're actually doing Satan's job for him. If we get to the place of being comfortable in just hearing God's word, then we will help Satan accomplish his goal of shutting down the effectiveness and the advancement of the gospel through his church, and the church will be effectively emasculated stripped of the power and influence of God's word producing something in us that will then produce something in the world around us because we're actually obeying and doing God's word that we have had implanted into our hearts. That's what will change the world. Now James illustrates it like this. Look at verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, this is a silly person. Who does this kind of stuff? You know, you got up this morning. <laughs> you looked into the mirror, I hope. You know, who gets up 
after sleeping all night and says, I don't need to look. Now, you might not want, want to look, but we all look, right? Who, who gets up, looks at themselves in the mirror and sees this thing that they've got to take care of and then like says, hey, whatever, and walks away. Something wrong with that person. He's not talking about our physical appearance here, though, and our physical reflection. There's something much deeper going on here. Look what the scripture says about the purpose of the hearing and the power of the word in Hebrews 4. I've got it on the screen, 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. Now, now listen to me, okay? You need to understand that these aren't just words on a page. This is living. It is alive. And these words are powerful. God is, God is the one who said, when my word goes out, it will not return to me empty. It will go out and accomplish what I've set it out to do. The wonderful thing about me is that God's word doing something in you, thank God, is not dependent upon how good I am in delivering it. I need, I need to work at good delivery, but <laughs> you're in big trouble if God's word only is as good as the delivery person. Thank God it's not. This is alive and powerful, and look at what it is. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I have this this double-edged knife here, because it's not as much a sword as it is, it's like a surgical scalpel that God uses when we are exposed to his word. His word is alive and powerful and goes down deep inside of us and with surgical precision goes in and separates things in order to get to that deepest, darkest, big bad wolf place in our hearts and in our minds to expose what needs to be changed. That's what his word is doing. That's what it is alive and powerful to do in your heart and mind. If you'll let yourself be exposed to that. It says that it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires and nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. When we come, my friends, before the powerful word of God, it's like Bell's mirror. And when we come before it, we look into the holy word and every, on our hearts it ought to say, show me the beast, because that's what the word is doing. The word is going in deep with surgical precision to show you the beast inside of you. And what James is saying is when you go before the holy word of God and he reveals it to you and you walk away from that and you see what needs to be changed and you see what needs to be done and you walk away from that, there is something very wrong with you and your walk with God. If you walk away and say, yeah, I saw, but I'm not doing anything about it. The whole thing has a goal that we saw earlier in 2 Timothy 3.17. This is the goal is that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. The reason that we expose ourselves and the reason he does the work that he does with the word is so that we can be equipped to do every good work. If you aren't going to do what God's word reveals to you, then what's the point? What's the point in coming to God's word? What's the point in coming to church? 
If you look into the word of God and you walk away and you forget, then you've missed the whole point of the looking. If you're gonna come to church every week or you're gonna go to your Bible study or you're gonna go to your life group every week with no plan of doing anything about what you hear or what you see when you look into the powerful holy word of God, then what is the point in coming? It's just a foolish exercise. This is what James is telling us. You're just deceiving yourself. You're just wasting your time. Now look, look at verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, these are the person that will be blessed in what they do. Do you see it? Here's what he's saying. Blessing doesn't come in the hearing, it comes in the doing. Oh, pastor, I was so blessed by your sermon today. No, you weren't. You were not blessed by the sermon today until you take what the sermon is saying and showed you when you looked deep into the word, intently into the word, and then walked out and began to do something, then you can call me or email me and say, Pastor, your sermon blessed me today because the blessing is in the doing, it is not in the hearing. Does that make sense? Is it, is it clicking with you? This is powerful, you guys. We have got to get this, especially in the day we're living and the days we're moving into. We have got to get this. The blessing comes in when we act on what we hear from the word. And if we don't, there's no reward. In fact, it has quite the opposite effect. What James is communicating to us is basically, if you become a hearer and not a doer, then you are guilty of spiritual atrophy. Write that down somewhere. Hearing without doing will produce spiritual atrophy. Do you know what? Look at this definition of atrophy. This is powerful. A gradual decline in effectiveness due to underuse or neglect. Now, I'm gonna, I gotta be careful in this next section because I don't wanna hurt my feelings. Because according to the CDC, I'm obese. And I'm trying, I really am. I am, I'm trying all the time. I'm eating grass. <laughs> you know, Robin wants me to eat these salads, and I'm literally, I feel like a horse eating alfalfa. <laughs> There's like hard sticks and stems, and, and I'm like, what is this? What am I trying to eat? I'm not, my system's not built for grass. But that's what I'm trying to do, and I'm submitting myself to it, and I'm constantly trying to be physically healthy, okay? And, and you know the saying, you know, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. And so we ought to be moving all the time. Because if, like this that we're talking about, this spiritual atrophy, if viewed in the physical realm, would be like eating without ever exercising. Eating all day without moving. You know where this is going, Right?
I'm not being critical, because this man had a lot of issues, but I read about the heaviest man on record. He was six foot one. His name was John Minnick, and he weighed at his peak 1,400 pounds. I'm not being critical of him. He had all kinds of physical issues, but he was, this guy was an eating machine because all he did was eat. And he didn't move. In fact, at 1,400 pounds, you can't move. He couldn't, he couldn't even roll over. And so he had all kinds of physical issues because he couldn't move his own body. He couldn't even roll himself. So he developed sores and all kinds of things. And he had to have people all around him all the time to help him and to help him move because he couldn't move his own body. His muscles were so atrophied because of a lack of use and he just kept eating and getting larger and larger that he was just sitting there going, feed me, feed me, feed me, and he couldn't move and everyone around him had to do everything for him. And this is really, really sensitive here, but he couldn't even take care of his own normal bodily functions. Somebody else had to do that for him. It's a horrible place to be. Nobody wants to be there, right? Does anybody agree with me? We don't want to be there, but that's what will happen if you only eat and you never move and you never exercise and you never like work out the food. When he hit his own personal physical crisis, he couldn't do anything about it. Somebody else had to call 911 and it took 13 firemen to get him into a makeshift ambulance to get him to the hospital where he died at the age of 41 years old. He couldn't care for himself and he couldn't care for anybody else around him. You know where I'm going, right? Where James is going. We have some of these kinds of people, unfortunately, in the church. They're spiritually obese. They're just like, feed me! Feed me! Feed me this study! Feed me this sermon! Feed me this Bible! And you're even at home, you're like, feed me! Five, they, they brag. I mean, people are bragging about, I, I listen to five podcasts a week. I'm listening to sermons all, and nothing wrong with that unless you don't do anything about what you see. And then you become spiritually obese, and you're just laying around, and you can't do anything. You can't help yourself. You can't help anybody else. You become worthless to the kingdom because you're so fat on the word because you never work it out and you're never doing anything about it. I don't like how quiet it is right now. See, God doesn't want us in a place where we are totally dependent upon everybody else and becoming these spiritual consumers. 
where all we do is just drink it in, drink it in, and everybody has to serve us because we're not serving anybody else. That's not the way of God. That's not where his blessing is. His blessing is in the doing. And when we do it, then we're working out our spiritual muscles. And now we're effectively used. We can help ourselves. We can get ourselves in the place where we need to be. We don't need somebody else to take us there. But better than anything else is we get to help everybody around us. In fact, God even says in his word that he gives us help in our time of need, not so that we can be healthy, so that we can take the help that we received and we're equipped now to take it and help everybody else in all their problems. So he, he helps one person so that we can help everybody else in all of their problems. But if you don't do that, then you just become this, this big, fat, obese, spiritual person of no value to the kingdom. We have another group of people in the church. I would call them the spiritually malnourished. There are people in the church that are never in the word. And when they come to a place like this and they're hearing the word, they're thinking about something else. So they're on their devices or they're falling asleep. And they're not alert and they're not, they don't have intently looking into the holy word of God and saying, show me the beast. I mean, bring it to me. Help me understand this big bad wolf that's inside of me. I wanna change. I wanna be used by you. I wanna do something powerful for your kingdom. And they're not doing that. And as a result, they're spiritually weak. Nothing but skin and bones. And like the spiritually obese, they're so weak they can't help anyone and they can't even help themselves. Both of these people are in a very bad way and this is not God's will for your life. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter seven. It's very interesting that Jesus used the same words where he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet that house did not fall because it had at its foundation on the rock of hearing the word and doing the word. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Notice, both builders heard the words. The difference is one put the words into practice and the other one didn't. Because, And listen to me, it's in the doing of the word where the blessing comes and the safety comes and the security comes and the protection against the storm. You want your house to stand firm? Then you've got to become a doer of what you hear. That's what James is saying. Otherwise, your house is gonna fall. It might not fall today, it might not fall tomorrow, but this is God's word and God's word is true and he says if you hear my words and you don't put them into practice, you've got trouble coming to your house. The only way we're going to survive and find God's blessing is to get to work doing what God shows us to do when we look intently into his holy word. Well, you wanna know what God's looking for? You want to know what in his mind is pure religion that he blesses, not the fake self-righteous stuff? James 1, 26, 
Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Here it is. You ready? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There it is. Control your tongue. I'm not talking anymore about that because in a couple of weeks we're going to be in the third chapter and you're going to really hear about it. Care for those in need who can't pay you back and keep yourself pure from the pollution of the world. This is what God is looking for in his church. Kingdom warriors who are in control of their tongues are good listeners, have a handle on their emotions and on their anger, are compassionate towards the needs of those in crisis and are in spiritual shape to be able to go out and meet those needs. And the person who knows how to live in the world without being stained by it. In conclusion here, some of us need to get off the couch, put down the ding-dongs and the potato chips, drop the self-help books, and get out there and take care of the endless needs all around us and exercise our faith. It's not just about orphans and widows. They're definitely important. It's much bigger than that. It's getting out there and helping those who have no one to help them and who can't pay you back. That's what he's talking about. That's a religion that works. Some of us need to make a bold move in changing up our environments and our friendships and our reading and viewing materials. Maybe even change a job because in every area of your life you are surrounded by what the scripture calls the filth and rampant wickedness of the world. And today, as you look into the mirror of God's word, he is showing you that you need to make a bold change in your life so that you can be in a position of blessing for him to use because everything around you is pulling you down. And you need to step out in faith today and make that bold move because that's a religion that God will bless. We all need on a daily basis to come before God and his powerful word boldly and sincerely say, show me the beast. And then have the courage and the humility to do what he tells us to do and to act on what he shows us. Would you stand with me as we finish out today? And would you just kind of bow your head and just reflect right now? And I just want to ask you, what bold move do you need to make today? What surgery do you need to allow the word of God and with surgical precision by the hand of the Holy Spirit to work in your life and to change? Here's the wonderful thing, my friends, is that God allows us to fail, but he calls us to repentance when we do, and he calls us to bring back our commitment to obedience. Some of us need to assess how we use our time. 
We need to change our schedules to create some service margins so that we can help others in need. Some of you need to quit your job and you know it. You know that it's holding you back from being everything God wants you to be, but you just haven't had the boldness to pull the trigger or the courage to trust in the Lord. He's calling you out today to do that. Will you act on it and be a doer of the word as the Spirit reveals to you in the mirror of his word today what you need to act on? Let me just tell you from experience, the moment you act on whatever it is that God's asking of you, a huge load of guilt and failure will drop off on the ground and a whole ocean of blessing will be dropped into your lap spilling over your life out onto everyone else. And I am just asking you today to be obedient to the word of God. James is asking us today to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Here's what I want to say to you. As I, I'm gonna pray, and then we have time down here. Our prayer team's gonna come to the front. In fact, they're, they're, some of them are moving right now to come up here to be here in case you need some help with this, but I think some of you just need to come down here and get on your knees before God and leave something and, and say, God, today I'm making a move. You're calling me out, and I am going to make the first step today to be a doer of what you're asking and calling on me to do and be obedient today. Don't walk out of here without taking care of what the Spirit has revealed in your heart today. Give my brothers and sisters boldness, humility, and courage to do this, Lord. We all want to be used in the maximum way for you in your kingdom, especially in the days in which we find ourselves living. Bless my brothers and sisters as they make these decisions and as we go out and act on the word. Be doers of your word and not just here. We need help, Lord. We need help with this. So help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being here. Um, you are loved. Go share that love with somebody else today.